We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of a Pack a Day Podcast. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, thank you so much for making this part of your day. My name is Nick Schmitz, and uh, yeah, Thursday's not normally the day you hear my voice or Maggie's voice or Jacob's voice. A little change in the schedule, always a good thing to have every so often, and um, well, I want to start with today's date. Today is February 6th, and it should be a special date for all you Packer fans out there because today is the nine-year anniversary of Super Bowl forty-five. Do you remember where you were that day? Remember what you were doing? Did you have a Super Bowl party for the Packers being in the Super Bowl for the first time in quite some time? What did you do? What was your memory of Super Bowl forty-five? So that's how we're going to start the show today real quick. Not the whole show today, but just a, it's a fun memory. I remember what I was doing, where I was, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, I want to bring in the rest of the team here quick, and we'll discuss it. And Maggie, Super Bowl forty-five nine years ago, your memory of that date being what? Well, I was a high school senior in 2011, so obviously I still lived at home. I was 17. Um, Didn't do anything super elaborate for the Packers uh, making an appearance in the Super Bowl. It was just such a special moment. 
uh, to be able to sit on the couch and watch the game with my dad, who's the person that, you know, helped me become such an avid Packer fan. So it was really low key, really quiet. You know, we had snacks and everything, but just kind of being able to cherish watching that together since the first time they made the Super Bowl, I was a whopping three uh, in my lifetime and did not remember any of that. Uh, being able to talk about it and actually realize what was happening in the moment was the most special part of that for me. Awesome. And Jacob, your memories, you have quite the memories of games. I just remember talking about the 2014 NFC Championship game and what that was like for you. I'm interested to yeah, know. Yeah, to bring what, that up. Are well, you I, I, it was a bad thing. It was the only thing I could think of. Though. You just have, you seem to have really interesting memories of certain games. So I'm really interested to hear this one. Yeah, um, so we didn't have a party because I remember that used to be a thing, and it still kind of is. Everybody comes to, at the time it was my parents' house, now it's kind of my house, to watch football. And after the Packers beat the Bears in the NFC Championship game, I looked at my mom and I said, there's no Super Bowl party. Like, I will watch the game somewhere else, whatever the case was. Uh, I was a lot more emotional as a fan back then. I still am now, uh, but not like I was. I was a freshman in college at the time. Um, the only people who came and watched the Super Bowl with me that day, my parents were there because it was their house and the girl I was dating at the time and my friend Christian. And that was it. Uh, Christian's not a Packers fan either, but I mean, nobody was coming to my house and rooting for the Steelers. So you can kind of gather that. I remember the morning leading up to the game being like torture, uh, just waiting for the game to start. And I hate those late kickoffs. Like this year when the Packers played the Niners, I hate that they had the 540 kickoff because I hate waiting that long. Um, but then I remember Sam Elliott's introduction, uh, which sent like goosebumps. It was like a reality that I was actually watching the Packers play in the Super Bowl. Because uh, like the rest of us, you know, we were all really young when they played with Brett Favre. So I don't, I didn't remember all the events around it. Um, but as the game progressed, I remember a few different things. One, I remember... Uh, 21 to three being the score at one point. I remember feeling like I had left my body during Nick Collins's pick six. Like I couldn't believe that was actually happening. And then I remember when Charles Woodson broke his collarbone, they came out of halftime and uh, the Steelers scored a touchdown almost immediately to make it 21 to 17. And I was like, we are in trouble. Um, and then I remember obviously the game ending. It was fourth and five. Uh, Tremont Williams broke up a pass that was intended for Mike Wallace. And then I dive bombed onto the floor and I don't remember much that happened after that. Cause I was sobbing. Uh, I was so happy. It was uh it was a great day. Uh, and oddly enough, February 6, 2011, those exact words made it into uh, my wedding vows because I said at that point to that date, that was the happiest day of my life. And obviously now that's changed with a few different things that has happened since then. But it's true. To that date, uh, February 6th, it was the happiest day of my life. And about three weeks later, I got a tattoo to commemorate that Super Bowl. It's on my right leg. So next time I see you guys, I'll show you. There you <laughs> go. Well, I remember it was – I was exactly like Maggie. I was a senior in high school. Uh, but it meant a little bit more to me because I grew up in Minnesota. So I went to school with Vikings fans. and Gross. Well, yes. It, it, but, you know, you can't choose where you grow up, I guess. But um, And it was also a little bit more meaningful, and I love the guy now, but at the time, uh, was not a big Brett Favre fan. And if you remember, that was his second year in Minnesota, 
And so it meant a little bit more that uh, Viking fans had to watch me celebrate it. But I just remember my dad, he's a, he's a high school teacher, and he that weekend took students to Chicago for a Model UN trip. And after we beat the Bears, I told my dad, I was like, you know, you can go on this trip, but I'm not coming to get you Sunday night from your trip because I'll be watching the game. I did end up having to go get him. But uh, uh, that was the big thing that I remember is I missed kickoff. I missed – we missed like the whole – like the first seven and a half minutes of the game – um, I remember the first play that, that we actually got home and watched was uh, Jordy Nelson's uh, the pass that he dropped that would have gone for a touchdown, made up for it obviously later in the quarter. But, um, yeah, and then, Jacob, I was a lot like you at the end of the game. On that fourth down, I was on my hands and knees with my hands over my face in pure panic of <laughs> just anything that might happen because I was just like, we've come, we've come too close and my favorite play of the whole game uh, was the Nick Collins pick six because he was, at the time, my favorite Packers player. And for him to be able to get that, I was like, this is, uh, this is going pretty well. And then we all remember that the NFL stands for no fun league because apparently going to your knees back then uh, was a 15-yard penalty. That was the other thing that stood out to me about that game was he got flagged for that, which is absurd. But, you know, it's the NFL. So... Well, yeah. And if you guys remember, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Nick. I'm sorry. But I don't know if you guys had the same thought I did. But during the game, if you remember the last drive, Mason Crosby kicks a field goal, makes it 31 to 25. And then the Steelers get a stupid holding penalty. And one of the lines that either Joe Buck or I heard it afterwards from the Steelers radio announcer was that the Steelers were backed way up, just like they were in Super Bowl 43, where Ben drove down the field and hit Santonio Holmes in the back of the end zone. And all I could picture through the first – and then, of course, they pick up like two quick first downs or two big-ish plays. And all I'm thinking is the final score of this game is going to be 32-31, to and I'm going to vomit for the rest of my life thinking that that's how the game – because if you guys remember, at the time, the extra point was a formality. This is when it was still from the goal line, essentially. So if they scored a touchdown – they were going to win. Like, there was no missing the PAT. You, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Jacob, because my thought was not Super Bowl forty three, but it was, I believe it was two years prior to that, they played the Steelers in Pittsburgh. And oh, yeah. They, they were winning. Green Bay was winning that game by six, and they scored a touchdown, the Steelers did, on the last play of the game, and the extra point was a formality, and Green Bay ended up losing by one. That was what my mind immediately went to when they went up by six. I was like, this is going to be a repeat of that game from two years ago, and I was going to be very sad that this one meant a whole lot more. So, um, But anyway... So let us know on Twitter. Let us know. You can tweet at Jacob. You can tweet at Maggie. You can tweet at me, even though I probably won't see it for a couple of weeks. So I wouldn't recommend that one. Or just, you know, do the smart thing and, you know, tweet at Packaday Podcast your favorite Super Bowl 45 memory, whatever it might be. Maybe you had a party. Maybe there was a certain play that stood out during the game to you uh, that you, you know, just always sticks out when you think about Super Bowl 45. I know a lot of people think about the uh, Clay Matthews forced fumble uh, to start the fourth quarter. 
Uh, whatever it might be, let us know on Twitter, at Packaday Podcast. Let us know your favorite Super Bowl 45 memory, as this is the nine-year anniversary of that Super Bowl. It's actually kind of hard to believe that it's been nine years already since that Super Bowl victory, but... Anyway, so on to the topic of the day. We are going to be uh, – we are doing our position in review – year in review, and today we are going to be breaking down the outside linebacker position for you, which um, if you've listened to the three of us talk at all, um, you can pretty much assume that the vast majority of this conversation is going to surround uh, Zadarius Smith and how Maggie would probably die for him. It's not probably Nick. Oh, oh well, I didn't want. I hate assuming because I don't. I don't know enough in this world to assume stuff. So I just. It's I just, the light of her life, Nick. She literally said that on our last episode. Uh, it's 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 been a long week. <laughs> <laughs> so so well with that quite that introduction right there. Uh, most of the show will be probably about Preston or not Preston Zadarius Smith. Preston Smith will make an appearance too, and um, you know Jacobs. Uh, other child, uh, Rashawn Gary, he'll make an appearance as well. But so, Maggie, start us off because I want to get your thoughts on the position, position as a whole, and just what did you, what did you think of the position, especially with the additions this year of Preston and Zadarius? And when talking about them, obviously they had great impact on the field. But one of the first things I want to start with is. You know, they were both off-season additions, which is kind of unusual in Green Bay to add two players of their caliber. Um, it seems like a kind of a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were they worth the contracts that they were paid in the off-season? Yes, and in my notes here, you know, I, I, I really think that this group, the outside linebackers group, gets the gold star for 2019. I don't think that there was a single position group that played better as an entire unit than Zadarius Preston, Kyler Fackrell, and then Rashawn Gary. And I know the obvious, like you said here as well, good. Look at the money they spent in free agency and the draft capital, pick number 12. Um, but it's paying dividends, and it completely changed, you know, the look of this defense um, setting the edge in 2019. Um, so Darius and Preston both set career highs and sacks with the Packers. Um, they were the only team in the NFL to have two players with 12 plus sacks in a regular season. So Darius Smith led the NFL in disruptions. Uh, Green Bay was fifth in the NFL in third down sacks. Um, Zadarius and Preston are both top 10 in quarterback hits. Zadarius was tied for first with 37. I mean, just if you look at the numbers for these guys, both having two sacks in a playoff game against Seattle it's it's year one and they're two ascending players. And I know that the Packers had to play good money to get those two ascending players, but already just after one season, you can kind of see the direction this defense is heading and it's something really special. Um, and I also do want to give credit for that or part of that to Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach, because I think that what he's done for that position group has just been fantastic. Uh, most recently, you know, he was with Kansas city, he kind of orchestrated D Ford's career year. D Ford got uh, his first Pro Bowl appearance uh, last season with Mike Smith, uh, career high 13 sacks. Then Mike Smith comes to Green Bay, does the exact same thing with Zadarius Smith. He gets his first Pro Bowl. He gets a career high in sacks. And Preston Smith also gets a career high in sacks. So I think between Zadarius and Preston and then Mike Smith, the three Smiths, um, that outside linebackers unit is going to be really good for a very long time. 
Well, and, you know, Jacob, one of the things, too, that, you know, Green Bay goes from having Nick Perry and Clay Matthews as kind of their, you know, premier edge rushers, which Clay Matthews was good for a period of time. It was time to move on, and Nick Perry never really kind of lived up to his draft capital. So one of the things is a lot of their success due to the fact that the Packers have gotten younger at the position um, or are these two players that when they hit that age that Clay Matthews was at when they finally let him go, that they'll still be wreaking havoc? What What is it? Is, is it a mat, is a combination of both just being, you know, young and new to the system or, or is there something more to these players? There's a few. Um, <clears throat> Clay Matthews is a Packers Hall of Famer, franchise's official all-time leader in sacks. Um, but, the other thing about him and Nick Perry both is they struggled with the injury bug. And Z and Preston, something Brian Gutekunst highlighted, something that drew them uh, to those two guys was that they had they don't really have an injury history, uh, which is part of the reason, uh, I mean, part of the reason at least that they were on the field as much as they were. So moving forward, I mean, yeah, you worry about guys aging, but these are two relatively young guys. Uh, and the Packers gave them four-year contracts. The hope is that they're in Green Bay for the next – I know Zadarius Smith can stay in Green Bay forever as far as I'm concerned. Um, Preston is really good too, and it's it's kind of strange. I You know, we kind of talked about this, how Zadarius is so impactful and such a big personality and obviously a really damn good football player that Preston Smith almost kind of became overshadowed, underrated. I think on any other team, you know, I always like to say like, favorites i like to scour the crowd when i'm at packers games and see you know whose jerseys do i see Uh, and i think on another team preston smith there would be a lot more 91s in the crowd than there currently are uh and that's not a problem or anything like that obviously i just think it's kind of interesting but something else i found interesting between those two is you know the smith brothers they kind of get tied together and i think that and i don't have any way to confirm this but preston smith to me seems like a little bit of an introvert he's not as comfortable in front of the camera with the media in the press conferences stuff like that i wonder and it wouldn't surprise me at all with the way that z has been throughout the year if that's something that he came up with as a way to say hey i am comfortable with this kind of stuff so we can do this together and i'll kind of help you through those things um, you know, the leadership, the stuff in the locker room, all those things, the play on the field is awesome. The fact that they're able to do those things too completely changed the culture in green Bay. Uh, and I mean, I think that the outside linebacker position is almost a microcosm of the 2019 Packers of being aggressive, changing the way they do things and ultimately being rewarded with a 13 and three playoff win trip to an NFC championship game kind of team. Whereas a year ago, like you mentioned, the only guy that's currently on this roster that was in that room a year ago is Kyler Fackrell. And the Packers had a lot of work to do. I ranted about Green Bay not investing in their pass rush as much as anybody. Uh, but they, to their credit, they let Clay Matthews walk. Uh, they cut Nick Perry and forced themselves to get better, and they did. And I think that's that's the biggest takeaway that I have from this group and really Brian Gutekunst. And Adrian Amos was a solid player. Billy Turner was a nice addition. The draft picks, you know, that was cool. Those two guys right there, if Green Bay wins a Super Bowl here in this quote-unquote window, those are the two moves you're going to be looking at and saying that right there changed everything. 
Well, and Jacob, I want to stick with you here real quick on this next question because it re- involves your your son, uh, Rashawn Gary. So, twelfth pick in the draft, and yep. you know, one of the things that I, I'm really I don't understand why people in Green Bay don't like him. The people that don't like him, I don't understand why. Uh, you know, I, I get you know, top twelve pick, you hope for more production, but. Quite honestly, you should almost kind of we should almost kind of be thrilled that he didn't have to produce his rookie year because they gave big contracts to both Preston and Zadarius Smith. He he wasn't required to you know step in right away unlike Darnell Savage where they're just like dude, you're a rookie and you're probably the best safety on the team, you know, and so he stepped in right away. Rashawn Gary wasn't forced to do that. So where sh- what should Packer fans be looking for with Rashawn Gary moving into year two? And as far as all things considered, being that he was a rookie and played behind Preston and Zadarius Smith, how would you rate him as a rookie and a first-round pick for the Packers? Yeah, I think uh, part of it is confirmation bias. Um, and I've seen that before uh, with other Packers draft picks, you know, whether it was, and I, I mean, this happened with Kenny Clark and uh, Kevin King. I'm if, granted, I don't need to go into the Kevin King thing. We all know the deal there, but I think what happened was, and I think what happens is there are so many fans that think about it guys, it's February 5th. And we've been talking about the draft and the off season for two weeks already. By the time April hits, that'll be two and a half to three months that we've been talking about these guys. And what we do is we talk ourselves into these scenarios. And the only way that I'm going to be happy is if they draft X, whoever that is. Uh, sometimes that's a short list of players. But the reality is there's a million players. There's 256 that get selected. And there's a million of them that are in the draft and eligible. There's so many scenarios that take place. When the Packers didn't draft, oh, off the top of my head, a short list. Brian Burns, Montez Sweat, Devin Bush, Ed Oliver wasn't available, but – uh, TJ Hawkinson wasn't available. No offense, uh, offensive weapon, you know, whatever. Rashawn Gary was somebody that wasn't really seen as a scenario. And once they did draft him, it was, well, he's a bum. That's not who I wanted. And that stuck in their head from draft day until the end of the season. Rashawn Gary, I'm and I'm not kidding when I say this, and I'm sure you guys agree based on the cesspool that is social media. Rashawn Gary could have had 12 sacks and somebody would have said he sucks. Like, he's only good because he plays with the Smith brothers or something like that. And it's interesting to me, ideally, yes, the 12th overall pick, there were only 11 guys selected in front of him, hashtag math. You want that guy on the field and producing for you, or at least have some feeling that you know that this guy's going to be a cornerstone of your franchise moving forward. On the flip side of the coin, however, I very distinctly remember when Ted Thompson was the general manager, one of the biggest complaints everybody had was all the Packers rely way too much on rookies. Now when they don't have to, you're complaining that he's not on the field enough. My thing with Rashawn Gary and with every draft pick really moving forward, because if you really look at it, Darnell Savage is the only guy that they drafted that started from day one. And that might have been out of necessity. Had they had a couple guys there, then maybe they wouldn't have done that. I also know that having read, I believe it was Jason Wildey's story in The Athletic, said that if they had not signed the two Smith brothers, they may have drafted somebody other than Rashawn Gary that was more ready. They kind of knew that this was going to be the case for him. Thinking of it that way, 
My thoughts with Rashawn Gary was, did he get better from September 5th, 2019 to their last game of the season? And the answer to that question is unequivocally yes. If you watch the way he played against Seattle, granted, I know the snap counts are limited, but that's kind of a two-edged sword, right? Does he do anything with the snaps? Yes, he had a couple pressures against Seattle. He had a sack against Chicago. He was better by the end of the season. Next year, going to be a big year for him. I think they're going to use him. And to a man... Brian Gutekunst, Mike Smith, Mike Patton, they're not giving you company lines when they talk about Rashawn Gary. They're excited about this guy. Eventually, you're going to see a reason why. All right. Well, and Maggie, talking about Rashawn Gary and kind of expectations moving forward with him, um, it's it's a big question, but given that he's the 12th pick and there's high expectations with that, is there any th- is there any reason to believe that he can in any way surpass Preston or Zadarius Smith this coming year or in the next even two years? Uh, you know, I again, that seems kind of like a stupid question based on what we've seen. But high expectations for a player taken that high. Is there any reason to believe that he can, you know? either move ahead of either of them or get to a point where he is on par with either or both of them? I guess I don't look at it as like moving ahead of one of them. I just look at it as another weapon for Mike Penn's arsenal and his front seven. I mean, if you look at the way that he utilized his outside linebackers in 2019, these guys are running a lot of stuff, a lot of stunts, uh, blitzing from a lot of different gaps. Uh, if Zadarius is kind of hovering over the center they were rushing from the edges. Um, so I just think that that gives him another versatile way to do that um, with Rashawn and the growth that we expect him to have in 2020. Um, I agree with what Jacob said. You know, Brian Gutekunst lights up when he talks about Rashawn Gary. He compares him to a young Zadarius Smith saying he can line up anywhere um, over the center, um, on the edge, just like Zadarius did at the beginning of his career versatile kind of Swiss army knife guy. So I really think that all this does is it gives that defense, you know, additional weapons. And it kind of reminds me of the 49ers. And I know Packers fans don't really want to talk about the 49ers. I don't blame them, but they have like four or five freak athletes at edge rush. They've got Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, who is now a free agent. I don't know if he'll come back with the 49ers, but they can beat you from every angle. And I think that that's kind of what Rashawn Gary in year two will offer this Packers front seven is the ability to move pieces around. It's kind of a chess match. You never know who's blitzing from where with Zedarius Preston and Rashawn. And then assuming they have a rotational fourth, whether that's Kyler Fackrell, one of the guys from the practice squad or a new draft pick, um, it just gives them more pieces um, and Mike Pettin and Mike Smith, the ability to do a lot more. Well, and you know, there you mentioned it and we kind of already covered the the main three, Preston, Zadarius Smith, and then Rashawn Gary. You mentioned Kyler Fackrell. Uh, he's kind of the interesting piece now. 2018 was a really great year for him. Uh, and then, obviously, it's not really your fault when you're Kyler Fackrell and they spend a 12th overall pick and sign Preston and Zadarius Smith that you kind of become a, you know, lesser part of the defense or maybe not have your name called as much and given that he his contract is up now at this point Maggie what do you see for the future for Fackrell? 
Fackrell strikes me as one of those guys um, that's going to be a rotational player wherever he lands. Um, I do think that if they offered him the opportunity to stay in Green Bay, I think he would. I don't think he's going to break the bank anywhere. Um, talking about inside linebackers like Blake Martinez, I think his market is a lot higher given the kind of numbers he puts up. So someone like Kyler Fackrell is not going to be in that situation where the money will flow to him in free agency. Um, like I said, I think wherever he goes, he's a rotational guy. Um, I could see him coming back at the right price, but kind of like we were talking about earlier, all of us with some of the priority free agents coming um, like Mason Crosby, Brian Blaga, if they re-sign him um, and just guys coming up in a couple of years, like Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, they're going to need to work on his contract. Um, Kyler Fackrell is kind of that expendable player at the position. And it's not that he wasn't a reliable guy, especially given the last two seasons that he put together. Um, but considering that there is some depth of talent on the practice squad that maybe hasn't had the opportunity yet. Um, like I was really high on Randy Ramsey during the preseason. I thought he was maybe like the 55th player on the 53 man roster where he was just close um, and kind of missed out. Um, I think the Packers would look internally at some of those guys or for a cheap pick in the draft before they would consider uh, bringing Kyler back. Well, and then Jacob, to that point, if, if the Packers do decide to let Fackrell go, you, once again, you feel comfortable with Preston and Zadarius and Rashawn Gary, but if they yep. let him walk, then, you know, three is a good number of pass rushers, but you'd like to have more. So what do you see the Packers doing to address the position as from a depth perspective? You're not necessarily looking to, you know, add a – you know, bona fide starter at this point, but you're looking for depth always. And if you let Fackrell walk, you're going to need to look at that. So what do you think the Packers will do if they do let him walk with that position? Yeah, I live under the premise that having too many pass rushers is like saying there's too much bacon. There's no such thing. So going from that premise, looking forward, the Packers, obviously they have some other pressing needs that will need to be addressed for agency in the draft, but Finding rotational pass rushers. I mean, you look at these two teams that just played in the Super Bowl. Uh, they have a wide variety of guys that can get after the quarterback. San Francisco specifically has 100 dudes, I swear. I mean, it's crazy how many guys they have that can get after the quarterback. The Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago made hay, made hay on the quarterbacks by kicking Brandon Graham inside and bringing in Chris Long and uh, Derek Barnett, and they had guys like that and still drafted Derek Barnett in the first round, for example. Now, I'm not saying the Packers need to spend the 30th overall pick on a pass rusher, but if they get into the mid-rounds and find a guy they like, um, I mean, Rashawn Gary's old teammate, Josh Uche, is somebody who comes to mind. He lit up the senior bowl, so I don't know if he'll be available in the mid-rounds anymore, but that's one guy. Or they could try and go the cheaper route, if you will, or cost-effective is the nice way to say uh, cheap, I suppose. But Tim Williams is on the practice squad. Maggie mentioned Randy Ramsey, maybe letting those guys battle it out to be your fourth edge rusher. Um, but I think the Packers – you know, Kyler Fackrell is one of those dudes that – let's be honest, guys. If we had done this show two years ago, all of us would have said, oh, yeah, they can cut him, no big deal, right? And to his credit, he's had a really good last two seasons – and maybe he won't break the bank, but I also think with, as we kind of talked pre-show, Brian Balaga, Mason Crosby, uh, some of the free agents they have on their own roster, and then you add in that they probably want to be active on the offensive side of the ball in free agency. 
it kind of gets difficult to see a scenario where Fackrell's back. So they're going to have to do something, whether that's a mid-round edge rusher or one of those practice squad guys hopefully taking a leap. All right, well, let's wrap up the position here. 2019 edge rushers for the Packers. Maggie, if you had to give the edge rusher position a letter grade for 2019, it would be a what? <laughs> a plus. And I would die for Zadarius Smith, which I think everybody knows. And I hope that he one day listens to Ode to Zadarius Smith. Yeah, Z, you have an open invitation to come on this show whenever you would want. Yes, that is that is very much true. And Jacob, your letter grade for the edge rusher position this year is A plus. All right. Well, let's okay. So A plus, great position. Let's put maybe get a little little bit of context from both of you here. So you both gave him A plus this year. The twenty eighteen letter grade for edge rusher would have been for you, Jacob, a what? Oh, let me think back here. Those are some dark days. So let's see, that group had Fackrell and Nick Perry. Fackrell, I believe, led the team that year in sacks. He did, yes. Uh, I'm going to give that – Fackrell, and that's really the only thing saving this. I'm going to give that group a C-. And And really just because Fackrell had a ridiculous pressure to conversion to sack rate, and that's really it. All right, and Maggie, your 2018 edge rush letter grade would be what? I was going to say a C. Um, I think that it was – a pretty average showing. Um, but to be fair, I mean, some of the calls that came against Clay Matthews early in the season kind of robbed him of some pretty impressive moments uh, for the defense. So, you know, when you factor in stuff like that, he was making plays and then getting called for um, kind of bogus flags in the beginning. Kind of. Of the year. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I just if he want makes you all plays, to know right now if you plus, could... maybe. I just want yeah. you, all, all of you listening out there right now, I just want you to know the amount of, like, shock and disturbing look <laughs> on Jacob's face. Um, yes. Uh, but so just... Maggie is way too diplomatic. <laughs> she calls it kind of ridiculous. I call it BS. Oh, and that's and that's censored for you. So yep. Um, well, so there, there's some great perspective there. In one year, the Packers took that edge rushing position from somewhere in the C range to 98 percent A plus range. So really, probably, if not like you guys said, the best overall unit this year. It's first or second. I don't know. Maggie says it's first so it's first but um, all right well real quick here we're we're running real short on time but I figure we got just enough time to address this very very quickly maybe 30 seconds each from you guys Jacob you had mentioned an article from the athletic about a bold prediction that the Packers will trade for Odell Beckham Jr. before the season starts your real quick brief thoughts on that are what I feel like that's a subtweet by telling me to shut up quickly, but brief. <laughs> no, it's brief, a subtweet as in we are going long. <laughs> yes. Brief thoughts. Uh, no, I do not want Odell Beckham on the team. He's really expensive. And if the Browns decide to trade him, that will be two teams in less than a calendar year that have decided they're better off without him. So I would rather find a value free agents and invest in this uh, wide receiver, heavy draft class, but no, thank you to Odell Beckham. All right. And Maggie, my quick thoughts are that I would rather have Jarvis Landry. Um, 
you can make the argument, obviously, that Odell Beckham Jr. is the more talented player, but I think Jarvis Landry is a better complement for Green Bay's offense, and I would like to see him um, in the slot lined up with Devontae Adams and like a high draft pick at wide receiver three. All right, well, there you have it. So, And there you go. There's another thing. If you have any thoughts, and I'm sure most of you out there listening do have thoughts on Odell one way or the other, I don't know, but let us know on Twitter at Packaday Podcast what you think of Green Bay potentially targeting Odell as a trade before the season starts. Let us know what you think. Again, at Packaday Podcast, you can find this there on Twitter. All right, guys, we are out of time. Real quickly, wrapping up. Maggie, if people want to get in touch with you, find your work, how do they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney, L-O-N-E-Y, and I also write for Cheesehead TV. All right. And Jacob, if you if people want to get in touch with you, follow your work, how do they do that? At Jacob Westendorf on Twitter, you can find me on Packer Report, and you can also find me in this year's Cheesehead TV Draft Guide. I will you. be doing the tight ends. Maggie, what position are you? I'm doing the overall analysis of 2019, so check out that OLB group. It's going to be a doozy. Yeah, that'll be – okay, so it'll just say Zedarius <laughs> in big letters and then like a brief blurb, 13-3 and three NFC title game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. There you go. So check out the Cheesehead TV draft guide. We're both in it. All right, there you go. And make sure that you guys are following uh, the Packaday Podcast on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Make sure you stay up to date on each and every episode. Now that the season is sad face over – um, unless you're going to watch the XFL, that's TBD about what that's going to be. I'm sure we will all be watching it this weekend just to see what it's like and to maybe fill some of that uh, football void. But, um, yeah, we are – it's a long ways away till like, training camp and stuff, and I'm really sad right now, guys. So um, with that, we'll, we'll end on a happy note, though. Um, things are good. Green Bay is going to be – they're going to be back next year. It's going to be – a more improved team from 13 and three. So just think about that uh, during these sad days of February with no football. So with that, thank you so much for listening everyone. And as always go pack, go. Hi, this is Nick Schmitz, one of the hosts of a pack a day podcast. Since you're a fan of the green Bay Packers, you are probably a fan of Friday night fish fries. It's a staple of Wisconsin heritage. And we want to let you know how you can support Friday night fish fries. You can do this through supporting The Farmery. The Farmery is a non-profit aquaponics farm and fish hatchery, and they are excited to launch their state-of-the-art yellow perch fish hatchery in downtown Green Bay. The hatchery will produce fish that aquaculture farmers can grow out and produce for your family's Friday night fish fry. In partnership with the Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, the Farmery has been selected to receive matching funds as part of Give Big Green Bay, a 24-hour online giving event designed to rally the community around local nonprofits. From noon on Tuesday, February 18th through noon on Wednesday, February 19th, you can make your donation to the Farmery at www.givebiggreenbay.org. The Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation will match every donation, which will provide high-quality learning experiences such as internships, job shadowing experiences, field trips, and community tours of the new facility. Donate online at www.givebiggreenbay.org and search The Farmery.
whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.